Welcome to Accounting Insider. I'm Andrew Montessi with Kim Nitschke. And Kim, another interesting one you've got for us today. Can it be done a million dollars in revenue with two staff members? Absolutely. Yeah, without a doubt. It, it's controversial because a lot of people would say, no, you need 10 staff. That's the traditional model. But I'm saying, no, that's the... Uh, that's the old mindset. The new mindset is with technology and with the right tools and the right mindset, the, the, right, um, the right system, you can do it. So how, how are most sole practitioners operating at the moment, in your view? The typical scenario is they start out as a graduate with the big firms on the low salary, spend two or three years getting their qualifications and their experience, moving up to probably a managerial level and then they're pushed down for years and years and years because there's not enough space at the top for them to become a partner. They're ready, but the firm's not ready. So they sit at managerial level for four or five years and then they get stale, they get disheartened with their, where their career's going and they'll leave. They'll set up shop, they'll steal a few clients and they'll usually work from home or a serviced office then what happens is they sort of hit a glass ceiling of $200,000 where they've brought in enough work, they've matched their old salary, they're making more money, they've got lifestyle so they can pick up kids from school, do drop-offs, take a day off to go fishing or play golf. They love the new lifestyle, but they can't penetrate through that $200,000 ceiling. So they just get stuck there. And that's where it ends for most sole practitioners. They'll stay there for 30 or 40 years. It's a good middle-class living. It's a good lifestyle. They're their own boss and they love it, but they can't go any further. So they can't go any further because they can't market, they can't take on new work. What are, what are the well, limitations? Well, they take their foot off the accelerator in the marketing side of things because they've, they've sort of maxed out. They're busy. They're 40 hours a week is full with partly processing work, partly returning phone calls, partly meeting up with clients. Um, all of that stuff is occupying their 40 hours a week and they can't go to the next level. They never take it to the next level. They don't know that they can go to the next level. So what's the strategy then? If someone is in this situation and they feel like they're reasonably happy with their lifestyle but they're thinking surely there's more, how can they break the glass ceiling? Well, they need to get back into the marketing, put the foot back on the accelerator and get some good staff behind them and my strategy is that you get graduates and you train them up in the way that you do things. Don't try to poach them from other firms because you've always got to give them incentive to leave So that's and you're paying them a fortune and usually they'll come in and you've got to retrain them anyway because even though they know everything, their knowledge level has to go back to square one because they need to learn your new software, they need to learn how you file into your paperless system, all of that stuff is basically the same and it's easier to start with a clean sheet with a graduate in my opinion okay so and if you get the graduate you've got a lot more loyalty they're not going to leave because they know that you've set them up everything they've done is determined by you i go for the females because they're more settled less ambitious um need a working papers get one of them to start with get them processing all of your work after they've been with you between three to six months You've got, if you've got the right one, you'll be amazed by how well they do it. And that frees you up. It gives you your life back, right? It frees you up so that you can keep marketing. You can network 
your socks off. It's funny, like, the couple of issues that come to mind in my view, knowing quite a few solo professionals is culturally, uh, they're, they're not great at training people. They're used to operating by themselves. Um, they will say that, oh, I can't afford it. I can't afford to take someone on. How, how would you deal with some of those issues? Well, you know, they're, they're self-limiting beliefs. It's not the right answer. With everything that you've raised, um, you know, there is a better way. They need to be given the information which teaches them that they, they can't do everything. You know, I, I think that there's that mindset that if you delegate a job to a staff member, you will lose the client. They'll end up stealing the client if they walk or they can't do the job as well as you. Now, if you've actually taken on board that training staff is a key area and you tell them, you teach your staff everything you know, even if they do the job at 80% as well as you, you imagine the multiplication that if you get five of them and at 80%, that's equal to four of you, right? Whereas if, you, sure enough, okay, I accept that they're not going to be as good as you, but at some point, and in some things, they'll actually be better than you, and you need to capitalise on that. You can't do it all because it's like throwing balls up in the air. You throw more and more balls up there by bringing more and more clients, and you're going to start dropping some. Whereas if you're pushing the work out, you can take on more jobs, you can get the bigger clients, and push it all down into a, like a pyramid structure, bolt extra people on. Um, when the staff start with you, it will be a step backwards. It will originally and initially be slower, but you give them the easy things to do, and then as they get better and better at them, you give them slightly harder things. The first, bear in mind that the first three to six months, um, it will be a massive step back. But wait till you hit the six month mark, you'll absolutely fly. It's like any investment, isn't it? And absolutely. ultimately, you're. The goal is you're freeing yourself up, the business leader, to go out and bring in more work to you, market and to you, fill up these these youngsters that you've got working for you. What I say to my customers is, you know, you, they come in, they are typically working their butt off. At night, they're going home doing invoicing, all that. They're saying, the sooner we get you off the tools, the better. They initially can't understand that because they're saying, well, I'm not making enough money myself. How can I feed another mouth? Well, you, you actually do because the inefficiency with you doing everything, you're missing out on opportunities, you're undercharging clients, you're not taking on the better jobs. When you get your systems in place and you're freed up so that you are going to work invitalised, enthused, refreshed, you, clients can tell. They're happy to give you more work, refer more people, when they know that you've got other people helping you. Now, I'm not saying you take out that complete relationship with the staff, deals one-on-one with the clients. It's sort of more or less behind the scenes, back office processing. That's what I'm talking about. And you can still be the upfront person handling the, the, the 1% of the, 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 the relationship that's not delegatable. Mm. And you want to be talking still to key clients, mm. key referrers and the key people. That's right. What about... Marketing. Another cultural issue for a lot of solos is they'll say, geez, I'm just terrible at marketing or I don't know what to do. What should I do um, from, a, from a marketing perspective? What are your thoughts on that? Well, the, 
with the the way the internet works, YouTube, podcasts, blogs, you've just got to throw a lot of money at your website, right? That's your business card these days. People, I mean, going out to lunch and handing out 50 business cards, that's old school. That's what you used to do at a rotary function. Nowadays, it's texting, getting, exchanging telephone numbers. And the first thing people will do to work out whether you're any good is go to your website and check that out. So that has to look amazing. What I'm learning is that you need to be a thought leader. You need to be perceived to be a thought leader in your profession. So every time you come up with a fresh idea, every time you hear a great idea from someone else, it needs to be written down, blogged, or um, podcasted, or vlogged, or whatever, so that when people worldwide are searching your topic, you are right up there with the best of them as being someone who comes up with the creative ideas. What that means is that at the barbecue, when there's a discussion about, oh, who's an accountant, who's a good, who's, can you recommend me to a good accountant, are you happy with your account? Your name goes to the top of the list because people are perceiving you to be the thought leader in that accounting industry. So there's a major change. Um, gone are the days of spending money on yellow pages you can, if you're desperate, put up an ad on Craigslist or Gumtree. It's probably going to attract the lower value sort of clients. But if you're happy to take anything just to get the revenue up, then that's not a bad place to start. And what you learn from that and what the introductions are from the clients that you get from those sorts of jobs will lead you onto bigger fish. A point that we, I mean, you and I have been on this journey over the last six to 12 months and it's been great. You've been a, a case study for me in many ways and it's, um, we've seen a lot of things work. But one, of the, one thing that we, we both agree on is try everything, have, a, have mm-hmm. a crack at everything, test everything and then really invest in and back in what works. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I set up my practice and I was trying to be all things to all men then what happens is you'll, you'll, you'll tap into um, a centre of influence in one sector and then all of a sudden more and more work comes from that sector. Now, for me, um, one example is probably aquaculture. Now, I never thought... I mean, I've always been had a love of the ocean and all of that, but as soon as I started working in that sector and finding it was underserviced by the professionals who were making a fortune in that sector and it sort of become lazy or getting towards retirement, it was a major opportunity for me to make inroads into it. And then all of a, all of a sudden, I was finding that I'm trying to find out more and more about that sector so that I can feed these guys more information every time I'm catching up with them. So, yeah, you've got to have multiple... Um, irons in lots of fires so that you because you won't be able to tell initially I don't think which road you're going to go down but as you put feelers out you'll get feedback from your clients as to which way you go yeah one of the the key things that I always talk about when um, talking about setting up a a marketing plan or, or strategy particularly for small businesses solo operators is Yes, try everything, but be strategic with it and that devise tests with goals so you can actually measure it rather than just having a crack at everything, not actually defining any goals or what you want to get out of it. So then when you look at your results in one, three, six months' time, you don't actually really know how to evaluate what was successful and what was not. So that's one of the key, key things that I would say is to actually devise a test for each marketing channel or whatever and 
um, and work out actually what your goal is, what you want to achieve out of it. Like coming back to one of your earlier episodes, your cost per client. Like what, mm. it, what is your goal cost per client? So if you're going to spend on AdWords or if you're going to put an ad up on Craigslist or whatever, what's your ideal goal, your number? Just a little bit of uh, insight from me. I'm sorry for taking over your podcast, no, Kim, no, mate. No, by all means. The, so, the, other, the other sector too is doctors. Like they are the ideal customer for any accounting practice. And, you know, I never thought it would work like this, but my kids go to a school where all the dads are doctors. So that has been a massive referral of work for me in that sector. Now, it was never planned like that. I chose the school on its merits. And then once I was in there, we were going around the room and it was doctor, 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 doctor. Lawyer, doctor, doctor. <laughs> like <Lawyer>. in <laughs> spots like us. Well, the, the lawyers are getting much less. Like I heard yeah. a quote the other day that um, in the 80s, the lawyers were making fortune. Now, because there's so much competition and the university has been pumping oh, out. Yeah, churning them out. Yeah, that it's much more um, a competitive playing field in that sector. Whereas the doctors, they're still killing it and, mm. th- and it's becoming more and more... Mm. that they are making, you know, you know, it's almost like the specialists are on $1 million. The really good specialists are on $2 million. Now, in that space, there is so much scope for me to add value in mm. that whole finance sector. So, I mean, with the putting the irons in the fire, the other thing that we're doing is, so we're doing financial planning and mortgage broking. Now, those businesses, they'll never be as big and as strong as the accounting practice, but they are such strong um, sidelines mm. and generating such a lot of revenue for us. Um, when we set out, we never planned to touch on those areas, but by default, we've become specialists in them, and mm. they are they're generating a lot of revenue for us now. And for the for your average client, your average punter, they just they want someone to handle that whole area of their life. It's nothing's more frustrating than going to one professional provider mm. and they say, well, I actually can't do that. So you're going to have to go to some other person who you don't know. And then for something else, they're going to send you to someone else. And you've got four or five professionals all meddling in your um, finances, not talking to each other. Um, and they try to um, run the other guy down to push themselves up to the client, which yeah. is – it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So with these doctors, they are so time poor. They are working – I was having um, a drink with a doctor on Sunday and he said on Monday night he was going to be working till 11 o'clock, right? So they just have 10, 15-minute time slots during the day when they can return phone calls. So it's so much easier for them to deal with one person Mm. like me that handles everything than sending information off to this guy, the finance broker, who sends it to um, the financial planner, who relays it back to the accountant. Now, it all stems from my figures anyway. Mm. So if you become a one-stop shop for everyone, they love it. And Mm. so long as you're cutting edge in each of those fields, as soon as they find out that uh, the actual full-time mortgage broker is doing a better job than you, well, then that that defeats the whole plan. And you can't, you know, and and they'll lose trust in you as soon as they Mm. find that out. But if you've done your research... If you've found out all the cutting-edge technology and you're feeding all that back to them, they thrive on it and they will only use you and it solidifies the relationship. You're talking about um, cutting-edge technology and just to... We digressed a little bit, but the importance of software in terms of um, creating this lean, scalable, profitable practice. Well, software for us is everything. So every night when I've got a spare hour or two, everyone's gone to bed, I'll be on the 
internet looking at the top 10 software solutions solutions that have been released for accountants in 2016. You know, and w- when you look at that, it just throws up all these new, um, you know, new, new ideas about doing things in a different way. You know, a great idea is Crash Plan, which is the automatic backup to the cloud, $11 a month, where, you know, up until I actually discovered that software, which is solving a massive problem for me, we had a staff member who would have to sit down at 10 minutes at the end of the day, plug in a USB drive, do a manual backup of our system, and then put it in their handbag and take it home. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> There's got to be a better way. So software, that, that's one example. Another example is with all of our corporate registers, you know, we've got hundreds and hundreds of companies that we look after. We've just discovered software that links in with our tax software so that if we do a change of address and a tax return, it feeds through to the 10 companies that that person's a director in and spits out all the forms for them to sign. Now, that saves like hours of work for us Mm. under the old regime where we did it all manually. I mean, we did it all right and correct, but just the time when there's software solutions out there that Mm. do all that stuff for you, you know, I think the software that we bought was $1,000. It's paid for itself mm. on one or two jobs. Mm. So what about when you're talking about bringing in staff members to free you up, the uh, leader of the business, how do you look at billing and making sure that all the numbers stack up? Okay. So again, recruiting is crucial. Spend heaps and heaps of time in the interview process to get the right person. If they're not the right fit, don't rush into it. Don't just think they'll do. Just hold off, wait for that right person. When they do come on board, most firms do a multiple of two to three times wages. We do 10, right? Now, it sounds crazy and most people think that that is not achievable, but if you've got the right person with the right training, with the right software, it is very achievable, right? Now, these people, to hit that million-dollar target that we're talking about, you need your two staff members to be billing 40000 a month. Now, I think if you do the numbers, it works out to be $200 an hour, um, 100% recoverable, but if you're doing... If you do a bit higher than that, then like let's just say it's a $300 an hour that you're charging your staff members out at, well, then that'll allow for a little bit of um, admin, uh, you know, a few doctor's appointments here and there, whatever. If, if they need some time off, you've still got to be having that revenue coming in. So, um, and there might be some jobs that they make a mistake on that is not going to be 100% recoverable. So you've got to have a little bit of fat built in the system. But those numbers do work and it's very achievable. The greatest threats, so let, so if we're marketing correctly, and another point that I'd like to raise on that is, work out who your greatest referrers are, and just spend more time with them, hang out with them, go go-karting with them, you know, do whatever they like, just catch up with them, have a beer, or a coffee, or whatever, but they are the ones who are singing your praises out there in the marketplace, and you can tell when the referrals come in. Always ask when a new client comes in the door, how did you hear about us? And when they're coming, you'll find that they're coming from, um, you know, particular individuals. Just keep the relationship going. Like, speak to them two or three times a week. Just let that, you know, don't... um, Just try to enhance that relationship as much as you can. Getting back to the the actual processing of the work, um, when you've got these two staff members, you need to make sure that they are 
totally efficient with their time so that the greatest threats are them being on the phone, you know, either to clients or to friends or updating their Facebook status. They're not the people you want, right? When people ring up, I always find that half the time they're on for a chat, which is great, but I haven't really got time for that. So always try to ring them back an hour or two later. Nine times out of ten, they've solved the problem themselves. If not, they're usually onto something else and they haven't got time to dilly-dally. So what could have been a 25-minute phone call if you would have picked up when they originally rung might be squeezed into a five-minute time slot. Only check your emails once a day. Do that at the beginning of the day and sit down and just blast out responses. Don't fall into the trap of sitting at your PC during the day and clicking on send-receive when nothing's happening. (laughs) (laughs) You know... um, so efficiency is a massive one. Efficiency is a ma- These people have got to be super productive. They've got to be superstars. Right. And what about in terms of your office structure, your setup, making sure that you've got everything you need to be able to run efficiently? Yeah, so they've got to have a beautiful office environment. It's got to have the latest technology. They've got to have the latest computer, two screens on the desk, the scanner on the desk the printer underneath the desk that's got double siding and colour, all of that, which doesn't cost much money, but it just makes your staff members super productive. Replace the box on their desk, the computer box, every 12 months. We don't want to have them having to reboot three or four times a day. All of that just takes all that efficiency out the window. They'll lose their thought process if they have to reboot the computer because it's crashed or whatever. Outsource the IT. You don't want anyone in the office getting bogged down in any of that. Right, so these people come to work, they've got the work lined up for them, they process it, have lunch, go home. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you know, you've turned them into little machines. But they don't mind. They, you know, we've got the radio going in our office. It's a hip happening place. Everyone loves it. People come in and they feel the positive energy. Um, it's a level playing field. There's no hierarchy. It's flat. Everyone's having fun. Friday nights we have drinks, we go out once or twice a week for lunch, Um, we're a family. You know, when there's a Melbourne Cup lunch on, like next week, initially I'd go out with mates for lunch, have a big lunch. Now it's like, no, I need to spend that time with my staff. You know, I don't want them at the office working while I'm out having a good time. So we're we're all going out for Melbourne Cup lunch. Girls love that. They'll wear, you know, they'll get dressed up to the nines, wear the hats in, all of that, which they love and it's really important to them. You know, the other thing is when the cricket's on, we'll just, the whole office will go and watch the cricket for a day. Now, we don't watch any deliveries or any of the actual, we're out socialising out the back and on the green, um, having a great time. Now, you wouldn't think girls would love that. They thrive on that. That's one of the highlights of their year. Mm. You know, and it costs me a few bob um, to entertain them all day but that's what builds your culture that's what makes it a happening place that's what means that they'll stay back for another hour the next night to make up for it and i guess this episode really links in with a lot of the other issues that we've been covering recently in terms of culture paperless office um, through accounting insider i guess you've really taken the listener on the journey of how you've actually lived and breathed this Mm. stuff any final points before we wrap up? Wrap up? Uh, just aim for that $1 million milestone and do not stop until you hit it. Uh, don't worry about managers or any other thing in your firm until you've reached that target. Once you've got the work, you have enough cash 
to be able to bring the people in afterwards to set up systems and manage or just outsource all that stuff. But just my, my advice is just go for it. You'll hit it. Thanks for listening to Accounting Insider. Visit the website, accountinginsider.net. Sign up and connect with Kim there. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.